Hello and welcome to our Secular Overeaters podcast series, where you'll hear from speakers who have found recovery from food and other addictions without God. For additional information, go to secularovereaters.org. And now let's get to today's podcast. It's now my pleasure to introduce our speaker, John Sheldon. John has long-term recovery from alcohol and has been sober since July of 1988. Since that time, he has participated in AA, and in 2014, he helped found a secular AA meeting. He has been actively involved with service to the secular AA community since attending a secular AA conference in November of 2014. His podcast, Beyond Belief Sobriety, has been serving the secular recovery community since September 2015. He is a certified peer support specialist in the state of Missouri and is involved in the recovery advocacy project in his state. He has been married for 15 years and he and his wife, Susan, enjoy theater and travel. John will speak for 20 minutes and then we'll have a short time for questions. So uh, thank you very much for inviting me. I really consider this to be an honor and uh, I'm grateful to have this opportunity. I, I have to tell you, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far. Uh, you guys are 10 times, 100 times more organized than anything I've ever seen in the secular AA community. Um, it makes me wonder if you really need to hear anything that I have to say. But uh, Jim wanted me to talk about basically, you know, how the secular AA thing started, you know, how did we come up with this name, what kind of uh, challenges have we had and how we have overcome them, and, and maybe what I, I think that we could have done differently. And what I thought I would do is I'd talk a little bit about the history of agnostics and um, atheists in AA for just a little bit, and some of the background behind the history of secular AA meetings, and then when we get into what's going on currently, I'm going to speak a lot from my personal experience from 2014 onward. And I, I want to just put out there that this is my perspective of events that have occurred and other people who've experienced the same events will have a different take on it. But so keep that in mind. But uh, here we go. So agnostics and atheists have been part of Alcoholics Anonymous since its founding. Actually, you could even say that Bill Wilson described himself as an agnostic before his white light experience in Towns Hospital. Even in the very beginning, when these groups were starting out, we had a bit of a, a bit of a difference in AA uh, as far as the spiritual nature and a secular nature. So in other words, Bill's groups in New York City were a lot more secular than Dr. Bob's groups in Akron. Uh, Dr. Bob's groups um, really stressed, you know, the praying and religious stuff, whereas the groups in New York were uh, stressing uh, service and helping others. So there was a bit of a difference. But in the very early days, there were a couple of atheists that were um, involved with the very founding of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. One of those is Jim Burwell. Uh, Jim Burwell was in the discussions early on about the big book, and he was really concerned that uh, the big book was getting was going to be too religious. The program was going to be too religious, and it was. I mean, they were in the early days. If you look at the manuscripts of, of the stuff that they changed, they, it was the book was really going to be more instructive and more specific about a religious deity, a, a god. And so Jim was instrumental in putting the phraseology and the steps: um, God as we understood Him, or higher power. And Bill Wilson later um, recognized the contribution of Jim and other atheists with helping to make AA more accessible and widen the gateway to other people. 
So that we've always had that. Another person was um, Hank Parkhurst. Um, he is the author of the chapter to the employers in the big book. And so he was a very um, successful business person and he was responsible for helping get the big book out there. Um, some historians say that the big book might not have been successful or as read as much if uh, Hank wasn't there promoting it. He um, helped Bill um, come up with this work publishing um, organization that so that the, the profits of the big book would be realized by Alcoholics Anonymous. And to this day, I mean, that is what has been funding AA for the most part is sales of the big book. So he was an atheist. Um, I've also heard that Marty Mann, who is, um, uh, I think she's um, known as the first woman to um, find sobriety in AA, um, considered herself agnostic. Uh, but um, later I heard that she would be more spiritual, so I don't know. But that's really common in our community. Um, it's really hard to peg us down. Uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is that you can be an atheist in Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step program for that matter. And um, one atheist or agnostic is um, going to experience and describe the recovery different from any other atheist or agnostic. One of the differences in our community that sometimes causes some controversy is just how important is spirituality in our recovery. Uh, for some of us, it has no role at all. And for others, it's really important. And um, I think that for the most part, we just allow each person to find their own comfort level with, with that. But secular AA meetings have been going on since at least 1975, and maybe earlier. I sponsored somebody who got sober in the 1970s, and he told me that there were um, there were AA meetings for atheists in St. Louis in the 1970s when he was getting sober, uh, and I found that really surprising. And it would be interesting to know, you know, what was happening. But you know, it's it's not unusual to think that that would happen because um, since early days. Um, AA members of um, similar backgrounds and experience were coming together to support one another. So we have LGBTQ groups, we have uh, groups for lawyers, we have groups for doctors. These special purpose groups are really important because people with a common experience could come together and support each other. So it wouldn't be surprising that atheists or agnostics would do the same thing. Now, we do know, though, there was an event that happened in 1974 when Don W. gave a talk at a Unitarian Universalist church in Chicago, and his talk was titled, An Agnostic in AA, How It Works for Me. And at the, when he was giving that talk, there was a pastor of the Unitarian Universalist church who heard him and thought it was wonderful. And he suggested that Don start a AA meeting for agnostics and atheists at that church, and that's what he did. And he called it Atheists and Agnostics in AA, or Quad A. And that was the first that we know of um, specific group for Agnostics and Atheists and Alcoholics Anonymous. And Quad A still exists to this day in the Chicago area. Um, there are still a number of these groups, and they, they call themselves Quad A, um, Atheists, Agnostics, and AA, 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 AA. So they're still going on. Um, and then in the 1980s, um, these meetings began to grow. There was a there were two people in Los Angeles who started a, a group that they called We Agnostics, and that would be Charlie P. and Megan D. And it was in 1980 that they founded the We Agnostics group in Los Angeles, California. I think they're actually in Hollywood. And um, those groups began to grow. Uh, Charlie P. later retired and moved to Austin, Texas, where he started these groups in the 1980s. And uh, those groups are still existing to this day. And then separately, um, 
in New York City, there were some people in 1986 who founded a group called We Atheists, and that would be Ada, H, David L, and John Y, and that was in 1986. They later changed the name of that group to We Humanists, and I think that that group is still meaning to this day. So that's kind of a rough thing that was going on. This is in the 1980s, so this is obviously prior to the internet. So all of these um, groups were acting independently of one another. They didn't know that each other existed. You know, the groups in Hollywood and Austin, they didn't know that there were groups meeting in New York or Chicago. It was all happening at the group level, um, autonomous and independent of one another. So um, this began to change in the as the Internet um, became as we started going online and communicating that way. And one event that had a lot to do with the growth of secular AA were the attacks in New York City on September 11th, 2001. What happened then is there were, there was a growing community of agnostic groups in New York City, and uh, they were concerned that after the attacks, they were going to have difficulty meeting and finding each other. So they created a website to help the groups find each other. And um, that became an international directory of AA, uh, secular AA meetings around the world. Because people would find their website, this New York City website of these AA meetings, and they'd say, hey, would you list my meeting? So they had this list of these meetings that no one before knew about of all these um, secular groups, and we were finding each other. So, and I don't know when they started talking about it, but there were two women in Hollywood, Pam W. and Dorothy H., who became friends at the We Agnostics Group in Hollywood, California. And they noticed that at their meetings, there were a lot of tourists coming to their meetings who had never experienced an agnostic meeting before. And they would, they would, in, in the meeting, they said, wow, this meeting was wonderful. This is great. I never knew these things existed. And Pam and Dorothy were surprised because they, this is all they knew. This is the only type of meeting they knew. And they, they asked themselves, are there others out there like us? And that's when they discovered the New York site and, 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 uh, that there were others out there with them. So Dorothy and Pam said, let's throw a big party. Let's invite these other um, secular groups together for a conference. And they did that. And they called it the We Agnostics and Free Thinkers in AA International uh, Conference. And that was held in Santa Monica, California in November 2014. And I was able to attend that event. So I met Dorothy before that um, I was I was uh, finding my own way as an atheist in AA, and uh, I met, had a friend in Omaha by the name of RJ, and she and I were in a Google group, just her and I and a guy from Minneapolis, and we'd sit around and we'd talk about um, being an atheist in AA, and, and RJ and I were both kind of tech geeks, and we had these um, amazing dreams of, what, of how we wanted to transform AA and, you know, rewrite all the literature and, and all this stuff, but um, we had a lot of, of ideas, and it was fun to talk with her. I felt a little bit rebellious, you know, and Dorothy came along and joined our group, and she told us about this um, conference that they were uh, creating in Santa Monica, and that gave us an opportunity to do something. And she mentioned an idea that she wanted to propose to the conference. And that idea was to have a central organization that she would call WAFT Central that would be like a service entity for all these agnostic groups. So I went to this conference in Santa Monica, California, and it was an amazing experience. This is the first time that I'd ever been around so many people who were looking at their recovery in a secular way. 
it was an amazing experience. Now, there was some controversy before this because we invited the former chair of the General Service Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous to speak at the meeting, and he happened to be a reverend, <laughs> but he's also a friend of secular people, of atheists, agnostics, and AA, and he um, gave a wonderful speech there um, about um, the uh, importance of inclusivity, but there was some controversy. People said, how dare you have a reverend speak at our conference for agnostics and atheists, but he was the chair of the (laughs) general service conference. So there has always been some controversy and we still have that to this day. We have a group of people who want absolutely nothing to do with any sort of religion or spirituality. And then we have another group that is, and I think it's a larger group that wants to be more part of working with NAA. The people who started that conference, it was really important for them to be to to be identified with Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why at that conference, not only did you have the Reverend Ward, Ward Ewing, but you also had the at that time the general manager of the general service office um, speak at the conference as well. So it was really important to them. Anyway, it was a very, very successful conference. But at that conference, um, there was a person who said, you know what, you're calling this we agnostics and free thinkers in AA. What about us atheists? They added the name. Uh, atheists. So they changed the name to We Agnostics, Atheists. They added an A <laughs> to it, Waftiak. And uh, they decided to have the next conference in Austin, Texas in 2016. And that was decided by a group of people at the conference. On a side note, Dorothy's dream of the WAF Central, the, the organization that would serve us all, was never discussed openly at the conference, but it was discussed behind closed doors, which was a mistake. And I was one of those people in the closed doors. And we all decided that we were going to build a website and we were going to have this organization. But keep in mind, it was a small group of people and not the entire um, organization that was agreeing to do this. And I think that was a mistake. But we did. We created WAF Central, um, which was, um, again, going to be a service organization. And there was some controversy within us about you know, how, how involved do we want to be? Um, do we want to be independent of AA? Do we want to work within AA? Um, how, how much of a service entity do we want to be? There was a certain amount of dysfunction and, and eventually WAF Central just wasn't able to continue. So in 2016, I still had this dream of having this organization and I purchased a couple of domains, secularaa.org, secularaa.com. And I still had this idea that we should have our own infrastructure. Because who knows, someday we might just want to do our own thing. And uh, so I brought this idea to the conference in Austin, and uh, I did donate the secular AA um, domains to them. And then they had a business meeting, and they decided to change the name of the organization from um, We Agnostics and Free Thinkers, We Agnostics, Atheists, and Free Thinkers in AA to Secular AA. And that's how that came about. Um, and the idea behind that was to just be more inclusive. Because you've got, I mean, you got, the the idea is that it's not just for atheists and agnostics, but it's just for anybody who wants to have a secular path to their recovery. So um, we decided to um, change it to that name. And then we had a conference in, the next one was in Ontario, uh, Toronto, and that was a successful conference as well. What else should I say about that? So I I will tell you that what went really well at these conferences is the connecting with other people. Um, we did a really good job um, after the conference in Santa Monica. I would have lined up going all the way back down to where we're at, we're at today. I would say that ultimately, if there's anything that we could have done different, my feeling is that we should have stressed group autonomy and involvement with um, the AA general service structure over doing our own thing. 
we're pretty much welcomed um, at our in, in the general service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. They want us to participate, and we have participated to a large degree. And I think that should be encouraged more than just having our own service structure. And I and if I could have done anything different, or if I think we could have done anything different as a community, it would have been to to stress that with the local groups, because one problem that we have today is people that are new to um, these meetings still think of themselves as something other than AA. You hear people talk about secular AA and traditional AA. I'd much rather it be that we are AA. We just have secularly formatted AA meetings. And if we stress that more, then I think that um, it would be it would be better for everybody. But I'm going to conclude. I'm going to give you a link to an article I wrote where I got a lot of this a lot of this talk from. And I'm going to read to you a something, the conclusion that I had from the article that I wrote, and this is just a quote from something I wrote some time ago, from our earliest days, arguing for a softening of the religious language in the 12 steps to our fights for inclusion. We have had those. (laughs) We did talk about that to our battles with intergroups and we've had them and our battles with each other. We've reached a point in our history whereby we are no longer some fringe group with an AA We are as mainstream AA as any other special interest group. And that's a big deal because that's how we will widen the gateway to recovery for others. And that will ultimately save lives, including our own. And I'll conclude with that. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. I know I learned a lot from um, your history and what you shared. This will take us to questions. Jenny's up first and then Salem. John, thank you so much for the overview of the history. It was really interesting. I got so much out of that. One of the issues in OA is that we're not allowed to use outside literature at our meetings and outside steps. And from what I understand, AA is okay with you doing that. Is that true? Yes, it is. It is. Um, So the general service office, they don't take any um, position on what individual groups do. So individual groups are completely autonomous, can do whatever they want to. Um, just because conference is approved, I mean, uh, literature is approved by the general service conference doesn't mean that others that haven't been approved can't be read. So yeah, it's common for secular AA groups to use um, outside literature. Um, my group in particular does, but when it comes to the steps, we leave, we, we leave it to each individual person to interpret for themselves how they want to um, work the steps. And there's an abundance of literature that helps do that. Yeah, I just feel like that's a bigger struggle that OA has is that we are not allowed to do that. And so it really makes secular OA kind of have to be separate. Um, yep. Anyway, thank you that's so much. That's a real challenge. Thanks, Jenny. Salem, you're up. Uh, hi, John. My question is also literature related. Um, I, I heard Jeffrey Munn uh, in a gathering a, a little while ago, author of uh, Staying Sober Without God. And it kind of sound as he framed it, it sounded like, you know, there was nothing like that out there. And so he wrote that book and it's a good book. Uh, But how would that be? I mean, you're describing a a 45, 46 year trajectory of, of secular AA or agnostic atheist AA. Uh, How extensive is the literature at this point? It's pretty extensive. Um, I don't know when it first, we, we first started getting this type of literature, but I know that uh, one of the earliest books was written in the 1990s and it was, um, I'm going to forget the name of it for whatever reason. Um, I'll, I'll put it up there later, but it was written by two women, Martha Cleveland and um, someone else, Arliss G. And um, it was, uh, anyway, The Secular 12 Steps is what it was called, A Secular Guide to Recovery. And um, it was a wonderful book. 
and it was republished by Roger from AA Agnostica um, back in 2011 or whatever. So back in the 1990s, we had that. Um, and then recently, we've had many other books that were written by other people, uh, individual AA members. As far as the rewording of the steps, that's been going on for quite some time, too. In fact, any of us in a 12-step program, we always have to ask ourselves what those steps mean to us anyway. So um, even if we just mentally re- reword it, we do that. Um, but I believe that, and I, I, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the um, groups in uh, Chicago were um, coming up with their own wording. And if you go to the AA Agnostica website, they have all kinds of alternative steps. Um, Native Americans wrote their own version of the steps, even. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Um, Susan, you're up next. Thank you. I've been many years trying to get going some sort of uh, secular OA. I'm, I wonder you personally, do you find that, well, I said to myself at one point, what's what's so important about creating um, a non-religious group where people are comfortable? You know, okay, if it's, you know, not happening so much, so be it. So my question to you is, do you ever feel overpowered by the secular part of your program as opposed to the 12-step part? Or has it just been, and has it always been fully integrated if it is now? In other words, do you believe you're spending too much time trying to get the secular movement going as opposed to working the step part of the program? Well, that's that's a, that's an interesting question. I would say that, it you know, each individual group goes through its own evolution. So, um, you know, our group early on, it was, I, I realized why it was important to have a group because we were, uh, people were finding us who either left AA a long time ago because um, they didn't feel comfortable or welcomed. And we also had people that had actually been traumatized by religious experiences um, growing up. And so it would be triggering for them to have a list of God stuff um, to look at. So we had those people and then we had, and then what happened over time though, we got uh, younger people coming into the group who had never had any experience with AA at all, but were interested in a secular alternative and they have no idea what um, a, another, any other type of AA meeting looks like. But when it comes to, I guess what I'm, I guess I, I would answer your question by saying that over time, um, I think groups find a comfort level where they're not so much focused on being secular and it begins to look like almost any other AA meeting, except for you're just not, you're not praying and you're not using the religious terminology and you're free to use out um, any other literature. But there is no, it doesn't seem like there's an effort to be secular within the group level. Now, when you get outside the group level and you do organizations like, like putting on a conference, then you might have some controversy about just how secular are we <laughs> and how involved with these steps are we. But at the group level, it's usually worked out pretty easily. So you never questioned yourself. Why am I putting all this effort into secular as opposed to the steps? No. Well, I I guess I could do the two things together. Um, In fact, they did go together for me. So like the first thing that I did after I realized I was an atheist is I went to the big book and I asked myself, you know, how am I going to make this thing work? And what I discovered is um, when I would read a paragraph in the big book, it would, I would read the concrete action, the things that we actually experience or do. And then right after that would be, Oh, and God is great, by the way, you know, and I could cross out all the God stuff. And what would be left in that book was the practical action. 
And then I began to rewrite the steps in my own words, my own language. And so to me, the two melded together. Now, the problem was at my home group (laughs) that I was attending before I started this other one, they didn't welcome my new view. But now I think it's much more accepted by the outside AA. So I don't really see, I don't really see a struggle with it. I see that the two have kind of come together for me personally and in my group. Um, and it does differ though in, but by individuals, groups and, uh, where they are located. You want to restate the question, Jim? Yeah. (laughs) You could, the role, I think this is the part Jenny's particularly interested. The role of the Toronto legal experience in, in the history of secular AA. And then more generally is what, should we be doing sort of outside or in a bigger picture to reach all the people that could be served? Well, the thing in Toronto, the thing in Toronto was basically, so intergroups, as you know, they change people. It's a volunteer thing and the intergroup structures change. And what happened is I can't remember. I think it was 2011. There was a group of people that came into the intergroup in the greater Toronto area who decided that um, these agnostic groups that were existing needed to conform to the 12 steps. They needed to have the 12 steps um, on their websites because they were using some alternative version of the steps. And uh, when these groups didn't comply, the they were taken off the meeting list. And one of the members of, the, of those groups uh, made a complaint to the um, Human Rights Tribunal in Canada to because his you know, human rights were violated um, and he won a judgment that um, the uh, the groups the intergroup in Canada they cannot bar um, these groups from being listed uh, it's discrimination basically and uh, so they did win that um, the overall impact on that with within AA it was significant in that the people in Toronto had had a lot to say about their situation <laughs> and they had a website, uh, AA agnostica, and they got a lot of people interested in agnostic AA meetings. And the number of agnostic AA meetings really grew a lot after that because people didn't even know about it until all of a sudden it made the news, but it was big news in Canada, not so big in, in the United States, but um, their website really helped out a lot. Now, we're pretty much accepted. Um, there is one odd ball though. Denver, Colorado, for whatever reason, won't list their um, agnostic groups. <laughs> but, yeah. But other than that, we don't have a problem anywhere, but it was a major, it was a major thing. It was a major thing, especially in, in Toronto. And it did help grow the number of secular meetings for sure and get people organized. I thought it was the thing that triggered your AA world service to let you know, groups use outside literature and outside steps. Well, no, because the general service conference really doesn't take a position and the general service office for sure doesn't take a position what individual AA groups do, AA members do. So it's always that it always comes down to that. It always comes down to your city, you know? So, you know, if, if, in my, if in my city, um, the AA members were intolerant of what my group was doing, you know, they could vote to expel us from the inner group. And that's what happened in Toronto. It was, it was a local thing. And that's the way it always plays out. And it was always, it's always a small group of people with the, who speak the loudest that caused the problems. So like the majority of the people probably didn't care that we had these agnostic groups, but there was a certain fundamentalist segment that hated it so much that they had to push this agenda through to get those groups out. They ultimately lost because it is wrong. You know, the general service office, by the way, was on the side of the Toronto groups. 
they said what the inner group in Toronto was doing was wrong because that didn't comport with what we do in AA. Mm. So they actually were on the side of the plaintiff. If I could, uh, Melissa, if I could excuse, you know, abuse the privilege a little bit as a follow-up. Um, I mean, to the back of some of our minds is, can we go when, when inevitably we've already had the problem of threats from intergroups with delisting. Um, AA has been repeatedly found to be a religion by various court yeah. courts in the, you know, yeah. so there's not a question about that. It's definitely religious. And if, like in Denver, why haven't they gone to a local court or to some human rights? I mean, it seems to me that's an option that we have. And um, do you sort of agree that it's an option? And and I wonder why they wouldn't, or what do you think about using that legal? The guy and um, the person, the people in uh, Denver, they just didn't want to fight. And they have their own website. And they don't really need the intergroup mm-hmm. to list them. And that's the whole thing is it's almost immaterial in this day and age to have an intergroup put, put their, your listing on their website when you can build your own website and, you know, search engines will help people find that because you're going to use whatever terminology you want for people mm-hmm. to find it. So mm-hmm. to them, it was kind of immaterial. Plus also Canada has an excellent system for people to have their civil rights addressed in this country. You have to hire an attorney and it can be very expensive. In Canada, you just go to this tribunal. It's not that it's not that difficult or expensive. They have a really nice way of dealing with things there than they hear. <laughs> you know, I have a my son is a lawyer for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This is an interesting thought you've just given me. <laughs> I did just want to make a comment that when my meeting was being delisted, I did contact the ACLU and they said oh. that that was the kind of case that they could take. And uh, they referred me to another group, which was actually located in San Francisco, just across from where I live, to deal with First Amendment rights, because the First Amendment also guarantees freedom from religion or religion. But they were not interested in, like, helping us out either. So I think it would have been a lengthy, expensive court case. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that something? But let's... um... Well, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have to do that. The other question I was going to ask is I, you know, I've spent all my life, sorry for that hand sticking up there, not all my life, but a lot of time setting up nonprofit organizations for progressive political, you know, social change. And I just, I just look at, you know, this obesity epidemic, and certainly there's one for alcohol as well, you know, and I just, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it, but you know, there are all these profit-making approaches to uh, recovery um, that are out there. And yet we know pretty definitively, and there was just another review of the literature that Keith Humphreys, who I ran into earlier, I my little nonprofit is now called, got peer support in the name of it. You know, they just reviewed the literature again. And peer support for addiction recovery is the gold standard kind of it's as good as there is it's better most of the time than therapy professional intervention medication you doesn't mean it's the only thing you should use you should always use it but it's it's way up there and it's like it's not available do you guys ever think about that about i mean that's i mean it's my particular life course i guess that makes it easy for me to think about it but you know i, I somehow making the principles of this fellowship of for addiction recovery. Oh, oh, and you're involved in that addiction, the recovery advocacy 
Yeah, uh, I, 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 that's kind of the direction I'm moving right now. I, I, I went through the training to become a peer support specialist in Missouri, and I got yeah. connected with people in my state who are advocating for, for you know, recovery resources and so forth. And I was just blown away by the quality of people here that are working on behalf of uh, making things better. And they're all secular, <laughs> even if they're religious, they're secular when it comes to recovery. I mean, because mm-hmm. w- it, they care about the science. Even if they're religious, they care about the science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's no science that says that God is going to take care of it. Not the vending machine in the sky. That's <laughs> no. such a, I'm suspicious of the recovery advocate because in the nonprofit world, not the nonprofit, but the social change world, there is this growing thing called the uh, critique of the NGO industrial complex, which is the tendency for professionally staffed organizations basically to become self-serving to lose sight of their mission and to focus on meeting the budget and raising money and so forth. And the recovery recovery advocacy world seems to be basically an association of treatment centers by and large. And so I'm a little put off by it, but you're saying it's good people and worth, worth. So far what I see going on and I I'm just kind of getting started, but like, um, you know, uh, for example, in St. Louis, um, they're looking at getting a, um, uh, Oh, they call it a safe use facility yeah. for sure. so that people can um use safely uh and in, in not overdose yeah mm-hmm. a safe injection site mm-hmm. and um you know the only reason that they can't have it because missouri would let us do it but the justice department in the united states has said they would arrest people if they did that <laughs> so so if things change there mm-hmm. but i'm just amazed that a missouri you know such a red state would be open to something like that with when it comes to harm reduction but there are people in the state in the recovery community who recognize that harm reduction is helpful in some circumstances and so when i hear something like that it just blows me away like wow that's amazing and Mm -hmm. these people are working with the state to make this kind of stuff happen and i mean yeah missouri i mean you know missouri is kind of a tough place sometimes <laughs> red, 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 and, red and blue right it can red be and, redneck as hell <laughs> uh, well i i'm abusing this um but I, i'd just like to keep chatting i mean i can i ask something jim sure susan um john do you think that we're better off having a separate group of oa agnostic uh agnostic than staying just in OA, like you have AA Agnostica. Yeah, are we better off having OA Agnostica or just staying in OA yeah. as a splinter? And group? AA Agnostica is just a website by that's owned by an individual person, and I can't answer that because I think that your situation in OA is way different than our situation in AA. It sounds like AA General Service Conference and the GSO is much more accepting of us and more hands off than is your central office. I mean, what Jim said about how recovery through the 12 steps, it doesn't say that in AA. So you guys have, I think you guys might have a tougher road ahead of you than we did. Our problem was always at the local level. It was never with the GSO. It was never with the people Mm. in New York. Mm. We're also lucky we started in New York, I think. (laughs) I don't know where OA started. Well, but you're also... I mean, the last I heard it was 500. I mean, how many secular meetings are there? About now? 500. About, but you know what? With since COVID, we have so many Zoom meetings now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, those Zoom meetings are going to continue. I don't know how many of those will become brick and mm-hmm. mortar meetings. But, but my group used to have seven, seven meetings a week. 
now we have 14 because we are going to keep our zoom meetings when we go back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It looks, and I just, so I'm, I mean, I do agree that OA has a more, Jen, I'll, I'll see your hand. Just OA does have a, it is going to be, it, it's got a different structure, but it's also true that you're much further along. I mean, Je, I just, Jenny and I just found ourselves just before the pandemic. I reached out, they were at that time four or five groups listed as atheists and agnostics. And because of history, Susan's group wasn't even listed. They are listed as a spiritual. They didn't have that choice when they were started. And so we just, we had barely started to find ourselves each other a couple of years ago. So, and now we've grown to, who knows whether it's 15 or more meetings from, you know, say six. And so it might, you know, you know I mean, it's partially, we have a different, tougher structure, but it's also, we've only just gotten started. And as we get known in more intergroups and we get more people in more meetings, you know, it might go, we said, if we do set up the service board and so forth, we may, it may get better. Jen, I'm sorry. I've, I've been taking advantage of John. Oh, and John, how long do you want to get, if you want to get off? You, you, oh, it's, oh, I hang out for a little bit. Oh, all right. Cause our, the, your pay, your, your pay was a little low today. <laughs> I have to jump off in a moment. So I just wanted to, to add something. Um, Going back to this, do we call ourselves secular, whatever, because there's AA agnostica, instead of calling ourselves secular OA or secular overeaters.org or .com, why not OA agnostica? That, to me, when I hear that, that explains it all. We're still just like secular overeater is still part of OA. Right. But A, but agnostica not a separate group but just so that people understand because there are just too many people in traditional OA who don't have a dictionary and understand what the word secular means so Jenna, they a a a a a moved beyond agnostica i know well to, to, wait till i finish to secular they chose secular over agnostica i thought you said there's still aa agnostica well, the thing that aa agnostica is one person's website. It's Roger C's website. And it was started because of the Toronto thing. So mm-hmm. it's like an individual's website. It's not part of the um, organization of secular AA. If we call ourselves, so you who can still call yourself that? Yeah. Always agnostica. I'm just saying I go to generally two to three meetings a day. One of them is attended at over 200 people every morning at 7 15 AM. Every day, seven days a week, these are traditional people, traditional, and I go to big book meetings, I go to AB meetings, the majority of them do not understand what the word secular means. So so agnostica, they understand, and, I, and a lot of people will come and visit if they understand what it means. It, what's amazing to me is how many people seem to think that secular has something to do with sex? I am not. <laughs> I am not kidding. It's frightening. But anyway, the, I, I, this is just an, a suggestion that maybe we call ourselves OA agnostica or agnostics, whatever, because of this, because this has been a conversation that's been going on for a long time about the word secular. Most of us who are in the group understand it and like it, but to bring in, to make the community larger. Anyway, that's all I, I wanted to say. I thank you all so, so, oh, so nice to hear from you. 
I'm, I'm uh, Skip. I'm in Central New York, and I'm uh, I have an AA group. It's a secular AA group, and uh, we call ourselves. Uh, the free thinkers group. I think we should let you go, John. This has okay, been great. I better go. You, you did. You did everything we could ask. Good. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Susan Thanks Skip. a lot. It's been a lot of fun. AA does not have a separate secular group at all, do they? They have a community within AA. Got to be within AA. It because, is. No, it is yeah. within AA. But what I'm saying is, I don't know what the official structure is. We, that's knowable. But they have stayed, by and large, within AA. But as John acknowledged, unfortunately, it's OA does not make it easy to, you know. Oh, so they can probably use outside literature and stuff, That's right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They use anything that uh, doesn't associate with, uh, with organization. Well, I was at one of the secular AA conferences. We, you know, we're going to present at one of them uh, in the fall in October. The most frequent literature that the, in that particular gathering you know, there were, there were representatives of probably 30 or 40 local AA secular groups. The book that they used most often was Jeffrey Munn's sobriety book, The Psychological Approach. I forget what, practical, a practical guide to the 12 steps, I think he calls it. And so that's what they, they don't read the 12 and 12. They just read that psychologist's rewriting of the 12 and 12. Great. Thank you so much, John. Um, that's great to hear from you. Let's all give John another round of Zoom applause. And <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit secularovereaters.org and consider making a donation.